0: Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I'm your fearless leader, Clay Travis. The World Cup opener for the United States just ended minutes ago. We got a 1-1 tie, a draw as it were. Uh, We were up 1-0 with about 80 minutes to go, uh, or 80 minutes into the game, well into the second half. And I saw a lot of it over the weekend, unfortunately, as a Tennessee fan. Really bad, unnecessary, reckless challenge in the box by Walker Zimmerman, I believe. I haven't had a chance to read. I watched the whole first half while I was also doing the final hour of Clay and Buck, uh, my radio show. Um, The first goal that we scored was well set up. I believe Christian uh, Pulisic uh, set it up really well delivered, nicely struck. We only put one shot on goal, I think, the whole game. Uh, We had other opportunities but didn't make uh, the goalkeep for uh, Wales, make very many saves. Uh, But we give up what is likely to be a very, very important goal off a penalty kick. Bad, totally unnecessary. Gareth Bell has his back to the goal. Even if he gets possession, he's not going to have the ability to, to immediately score a goal. He's probably going to have to pass the ball to somebody else. Totally unnecessary challenge. Uh, Penalty kick, rightly rewarded uh, and awarded there. And Gareth Bale took it in, uh, put it in the uh, top right corner, I believe, on that penalty kick. So we end in a 1-1 tie. For those of you out there who are not big soccer fans, we are in a group with Wales, England, and Iran. Uh, And only two of those four teams will advance. Iran is the weakest of the group. They got absolutely drubbed by England to such an extent it's probably very unlikely that Iran is going to have a chance. So two of the three will advance between Wales, England, and the United States. If we had won this game, we would have been in phenomenal shape. Basically, no matter what happens against England, if we had beaten Iran, we would be going to the knockout round, to the round of 16. With a tie against Wales... Uh, I think you have to presume, at least it should be the case, that everybody will beat Iran. Uh, then it will come down to goal differential against both England and Iran. That is the most likely outcome. We would have been in an incredible position if we had been able to hold on and not give away that lead, especially to give it away on an awful, unnecessary, reckless challenge. was tough, as I said, between this and the University of Tennessee I saw a lot of bad defense being played in two different footballs, uh, depending on what part of the world you live in. So, U.S. gets the draw. uh, Was not the result we wanted. Was not the disastrous result that it could have been. Again, I think it's going to come down to goal differential. Should beat Iran. Probably will lose on Friday to England. Uh, If we could tie with England, that would be fantastic. Obviously, if we could win, that would be extraordinary. Uh, But we'll be fairly substantial underdogs against the English on Friday. Uh, And then we'll close out Uh, on Sunday or sorry next week against Iran I think Monday or Tuesday I'm not sure what day that game will be played on Um, so uh, that is my World Cup reaction to the game that just ended Uh, and for those of you who don't know the top four uh, sorry the 32 initial World Cup teams top two will advance to the round of 16 Uh, it would be a good result if the U.S. could at least get into the round of 16 which is the knockout stage Basically, like the Sweet 16 in the NCAA tournament, at that point you would go to added time. You would go to shootouts. Uh, there has to be a result. Once you get to the World Round of 16, you can't have uh, any ties as uh, the result. So uh, that is the takeaway from uh, from what happened in the World Cup game that just ended over the weekend. Biggest loss in 20 years for the University of Tennessee, South Carolina. Absolutely dominated and destroyed Tennessee. I frankly don't know what happened on the defensive side of the ball. It was an inexcusable performance. South Carolina put up six points against Florida, seven points against uh, 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 Georgia, ten points against Missouri. Uh, This is not an elite offense. Tennessee made them look like the greatest offense in the history of college football. They give up 63 points. It was such a poor performance that unfortunately it detracts from what otherwise was going to be a good season. Now, if Tennessee can still beat Vanderbilt, which I'm not confident they will do now that Hendon Hooker is out, which I'll talk about in a moment, uh, then Tennessee could still go 10-2, and two, whatever. It's a good season. I would have taken 10-2 and two before the season started, but you don't get opportunities very often to play for national championships. All Tennessee had to do was beat Missouri, beat South Carolina, and beat Vanderbilt, three mediocre teams. If you'll remember me saying it, I wasn't confident Tennessee would do it because I've watched them lose too many games over the years they should have won, and they're not going to do it. Uh, So uh, now the college football playoff picture, let me break it down for you. Uh, I will be in Columbus this coming weekend, uh, and uh, I will be in Columbus for, obviously, the Michigan-Ohio State game with the big noon kickoff crew. Should be an electric atmosphere there because it's a playoff game, effectively. Whoever wins that game is going to the college football playoff. Georgia is... If Georgia beats Georgia Tech, which they are a big favorite to do, will be in the college football playoff no matter what happens in the SEC championship game. So you basically have two games uh, to decide two playoff spots. Georgia's a big favorite. And then whoever wins the Michigan-Ohio State game with Ohio State as a substantial touchdown plus favorite. If Ohio State wins, they're in. If Michigan wins, they're in. Okay, it's two spots. What happens with the other two? Well... TCU got a monster win over Baylor, literally running clock field goal to end the game. And we also saw USC outlast UCLA. If USC beats Notre Dame and wins the Pac-12 championship, the Trojans are going to be in. If TCU beats Iowa State and then wins the Big 12 championship, they're definitely in. So I would say the leaders in the clubhouse right now, uh, with two more games to go for each of them. Uh, is right now, Georgia, Ohio State or Michigan, whoever wins, TCU and USC. That is the playoff right now. If either USC or TCU loses, then you end up in potentially a debate. One loss, TCU. uh, One loss, Clemson. One loss, Michigan or Ohio State. Uh, There are a bunch of different directions that people could go as they analyze those overall breakdowns. But right now, leaders in the clubhouse, four teams that would go, if they went out, basically controlling their own destiny, Georgia, the winner of Michigan-Ohio State, um, and USC and or uh, TCU, okay, in no particular order. Although I think it would be, uh, again, we still have to see what happens to the Big Ten Championship, SEC Championship. If LSU wins out, they beat a uh, and this weekend, and then they also were to beat Georgia – They would put themselves into the mix. Otherwise, barring Bedlam, uh, there are not a lot of moving parts there. In addition to Tennessee getting absolutely wrecked, and that's what it was, it was an absolute wreckage. One thing to lose a close game, Tennessee was absolutely dominated, crushed, obliterated by South Carolina, indefensible defensive performance. Hendon Hooker tore his ACL and is out for the season. So you think about how fine the line between success and failure can be, in college athletics, certainly in athletics in general, when kickoff happened for Tennessee in that game against South Carolina, they had a chance to go to the playoff, they had a chance to win a national championship, and their quarterback had a chance to win the Heisman Trophy. By the end of that game, really early in the fourth quarter even, Tennessee had no chance to go to the playoff, uh, no chance to win the national championship, and Starting quarterback Hendon Hooker was out with a torn ACL. I hope he recovers well. He has meant a ton in terms of coming back in and making an impact for Tennessee, but it was an absolutely devastating loss for Tennessee, not only in the football field, but as Hendon Hooker was injured. Wish him well uh, in his recovery there. Brutal, tough, very devastating injury that he suffered and he's not going to be back healthy to be able to throw for NFL teams uh, by the time we get to February. Um, so NFL teams are going to have to look at all the film that he put out there instead of being able to come and see him work out. He won't be able to do the combine. That likely will hurt, I would think, his draft status fairly appreciably, and uh, we will see where Hinden Hooker ends up getting drafted as someone who's going to have to take him knowing that he may well not be ready even for the fall, depending on how well he recovers from that ACL injury. All right, several other storylines. How about my Tennessee Titans getting the win over the Green Bay Packers to effectively, it would appear, end the Green Bay Packers' chances unless they win their final six games of being able to make the playoffs and, uh, and, and go after another championship with Aaron Rodgers, another Super Bowl. Um, let me go through really quickly... Everything that happened in the NFL, I'll give you my takeaway from all of those games, uh, as well as continue to break down what we're looking at in uh, college football. Uh, The Falcons got past the Bears. Uh, We had a great outkick six pack, by the way, five and one in that. Also went nine and five in uh, college football. The picks are back above five hundred. We've been really good the past couple of weeks. Bills outlast the Browns. How about the Bills Mafia being out there helping their guys to get to the airport after five to six feet of snow came in, uh, getting their guys to the airport so they could play that game in Detroit. Uh, Browns soon will be able to get Deshaun Watson back, although I don't think it's going to matter. Eagles outlast the Colts. Jeff Saturday, I think you have to say, pretty good debut so far. Uh, But the Eagles on that final drive, Quarterback sneak from Jalen Hurts to win by one. Bounce back from a disappointing loss uh, that we saw against the Washington Commanders. Uh, The Patriots get the win over the Jets. Why in the world are the Jets kicking the ball straight to uh, the kick return man for the Patriots for the walk-off punt return touchdown? Effectively, really poor decision-making there. Jets offense non-existent. Zach Wilson not performing very well in year two. He does not look like the answer for the Jets. Even though they're better this year than they have been in past years, the Patriots still own the Jets. Saints get the win over the Rams. Uh Matthew Stafford, all sorts of injury issues for the Rams coming off of their Super Bowl defending season. Rams have now fallen to three and seven. They are done in the NFC in terms of contending for a Super Bowl repeat uh, or even a playoff berth, I believe. Lions have now won three games in a row, get the win over the Giants to climb to four and sixth in the NFC North. The Ravens, very ugly win over the Panthers and uh, Baker Mayfield, not a good performance, but the Ravens defense gets it done against him. Commanders, playing really good football right now. They're out to six and five. Taylor Heineke, now the new quarterback there. Commanders have won a bunch of games in a row. The Texans never really had a chance in that one. In overtime, the Raiders get the win over the Broncos. The Broncos have since released Melvin Gordon. They're sitting at 3-7. and seven. They've committed almost $250 million to uh, Russell Wilson, and that experiment is not going very well at all as they sit at 3-7, and, and their season is effectively over. Cowboys dominate against what had been the 8-1 and one Vikings, 40-3 to three. obliteration there. The Bengals get past the Steelers. Uh, and the Chiefs uh, are now in uh, the uh, in the clubhouse, so to speak, uh, with that win over Justin Herbert. Chiefs continue to own uh, the Chargers as we break all of this down. I'll give you a breakdown of the playoff picture tomorrow, but that is uh, my NFL analysis of the weekend that was. A bunch of other big stories that are out there and worth discussing. CBS has authenticated... The Hunter Biden laptop. Two years after the Hunter Biden laptop, for anyone with a functional brain, we all knew it was real based on the New York Post uh, stories, based on Miranda Devine's excellent work, based on her entire book that she published, Laptop from Hell. CBS has now authenticated the Hunter Biden laptop as we get ready just in time for there to be uh, investigations taking place in the House into the Biden family and what Joe Biden knew and when he might have known it. Um, This is particularly interesting because the authentication, if you remember, Trump in a 60 Minutes interview with Leslie Stahl two years ago asked her why they weren't covering the Hunter Biden laptop. She said they couldn't authenticate or verify it. It only took CBS two years What did they do to authenticate and verify it? They basically had a Minneapolis dude break down all of the files, look at them and say what you and I and anyone out there has known. Yes, it is in fact real. All of the laptop is legitimate. Um, So that is going on. And right after that, we'll continue the discussion. But first, a momentary break. You ready? Showtime. Big storyline on Twitter dealing with Trump. Uh, Elon Musk has basically reversed all the major bans that had existed on Twitter. Good for him for doing so. Uh, Donald Trump has access to his Twitter account again. He has not let y- yet used it. He also let Kathy Griffin back on and, importantly, the Babylon Bee. And in, in, in general... For the Babylon Bee in particular, what is intriguing to me about the Babylon Bee is I'm not sure Elon Musk would have bought Twitter if Twitter had not blocked the Babylon Bee for, again, it's a satirical, uh, like the onion for, uh, for Republicans. If they hadn't blocked the satirical website, I'm not sure that Elon Musk ever gets involved and decides that he needs to. Uh, get involved in everything surrounding the Twitter madness. But that happens. He now has unbanned the Babylon Bee. To their credit, they stuck to their guns, refused to delete the tweet that they simply they did nothing wrong uh, about. And now they are back in the good graces of Twitter. Donald Trump is also back. Jordan Peterson, there have been a lot of people that have been cleared. But Trump, the question that I think is fascinating for Trump is, will he return to Twitter? And What exactly does he gain and what does he lose by being there? In other words, I think that Republicans actually benefit if Trump isn't on Twitter. Uh, By which I mean, when he's on Twitter, Democrats have basically decided that Donald Trump is Hitler, Donald Trump is Satan, Donald Trump is pure evil. When he's on Twitter they're able to focus all of their fusillade on Donald Trump. And I think that works against Republicans and independents. So will Trump come back? One of the interesting things about this, and Elon Musk let everybody vote, and the vote was 52 to 48 to let Trump back on. Remember, I'm in favor of everybody being on Twitter. I think especially if you are a political candidate, democracy uh, is uh, needs and demands that you have as much access to the political opinions of people you might vote for as possible. So Trump is obviously a fount of opinions on Twitter that helps people to make a decision about whether they want him to be or not be President of the United States. So I don't think that we should be banning anyone, personally, from Twitter, from social media in general, certainly if they're a political candidate. Um, But what is a really big question out here is is it good for Trump to have Twitter? Because I think it's actually better for him not to have Twitter because it makes the focus more on Joe Biden and less on himself. We'll see what ends up happening with Joe Biden because obviously as these investigations into the laptop, which remember 51 top uh, uh, national security experts all said was Russian disinfo, there's hardly any negative uh, fallback for them off being 100% wrong about that allegation and almost zero uh, accountability for it uh, from the media to hold all these people accountable who put their names as national security advisors on this document to claim that the Hunter Biden laptop looked like Russian disinfo. So I think that is substantial and significant, but Trump is going to have to make a decision about whether or not to get back on Twitter. Um, I applaud and appreciate Elon Musk essentially saying that his standard is that you should be able to share information on Twitter and that we really should have a robust marketplace of ideas. And remember, what left-wingers are now saying is if you have opinions that they don't like, you shouldn't have the right to share them. And this is a scary proposition that I believe uh, deserves more attention. Look, I'm going to vote Republican just based on that. Just based on the fact that I, like Elon Musk, am a free speech absolutist, that is going to make a difference for me in terms of how exactly I decide uh, to vote going forward. I'm always going to vote for the party that supports the marketplace of ideas the most. Um, Other news. Bob Iger is back at Disney. This is a crazy story. Just a few months ago in July, the Disney board signed Bob Chapek to a three-year contract extension. Um, and this is uh, you know probably going to cost them tens of millions of dollars, maybe even $100 million, in order to be firing Bob Chapek, and they are replacing him with Bob Iger. Now, what do I think is going on here? I think there's a panic in many different companies out there over the cost of streaming and the fact that simultaneously, while streaming costs are skyrocketing, uh, that you are dealing with cord cutting vanishing. In other words, I've been arguing this for a long time and it's one of the things that I'm 100% right about, I believe. Everybody has been trying to argue, oh, Disney is just going to move from having cable company, uh, all these companies like ESPN and the like, all the money that they make off ESPN, for instance, they're just going to move to streaming. And they're going to step off of the sinking boat of the cable and satellite bundle, and they're going to step onto a brand new boat, which is streaming. The problem is, there are actually two sinking boats right now. Most recent quarterly earnings report, Disney lost a lot of money on streaming, and right now they are $8 billion on streaming. Let me repeat that. Disney has lost $8 billion on streaming. Simultaneously, the number of cord cutters is skyrocketing. Why is that happening? Well, because a lot of people are making a decision, wait a minute, do I want cable or do I want to have all these different streaming services? Because remember, you're not saving money. What you have to have now, especially if you're a sports fan, I've been arguing this for a long time too, is you have to have the typical cable and satellite bundle And you also have to have all the streaming services. For instance, if you wanted to watch the Titans against the Packers, Thursday Night Football is on Amazon. So you got to have an Amazon Prime subscription. Now, in order to watch a lot of college football games, you have to have an ESPN Plus subscription. And so you're having to stack up all these different subscriptions, and you still have to have a cable and satellite package. So instead of saving you money, it's actually costing you more. So a lot of people are saying, okay, I'm going to go streaming, instead of going with a cable and satellite subscription. So while they're losing $8 billion, they also are starting to lose substantial dollars in their cord-cutting business. And that's why you've seen, honestly, if you look, that's why they've been raising the cost to go to the amusement parks so much. It's now almost $200 to go to Disney World on some days. $189, I think, is the top charge now to get in. Uh, I mean, look, I got a family of five, in order to go to Disney World now and take my three boys, we're almost going to have to pay $1,000 a day. And that doesn't include the cost to get there. That doesn't include uh, what we're going to spend when we're there. And it doesn't include the cost of lodging, cost of uh, you know transportation, all that stuff. I mean, you are to the point now where in order to take a Disney family vacation, you have to actually be pretty wealthy. Because you can't get into Disney World very affordably. Again, for my family of five, it might cost us $1,000 a day to go to the Magic Kingdom, to go to Epcot, to go to Animal Kingdom, any of those. And given the fact that most people are going multiple days, you're talking about a $10,000 family vacation easy when the average family of four is making fifty dollars or $60,000 in the country. Uh, I mean, in the whole year that is canceling out the possibility of even being able to go to Disney World for a lot of people. And I used to go, by the way, when I was a kid and we would camp out Disney World. We would stay in a camper at Fort Wilderness. My sister, my mom, my dad, I need to figure out exactly what that used to cost. It was basically nothing. That's what we did on family vacations. We would go to Disney World. So I think there's a panic setting in. And I think that Disney is, is like, oh my goodness, We right now are losing money on the cable satellite bundle. We're hemorrhaging cash on streaming. We've got two different losing businesses. The only way we're making any money at all now is by basically charging exorbitant rates for people to be able to go to Disneyland or Disney World. And there's a panic that's set in. Uh, And then you toss in the fact that they're feuding like idiots with uh, the state of Florida over the don't say gay bill, which basically just says, Hey, we're not going to teach sexuality, uh, in classrooms to kindergarten, first, second, third graders. Um, and I think they panicked and said, let's go get Bob Iger. Bob Chapek is not up to this job. And that's how he ended up, uh, getting that job back. Um, so this is, uh, this is pretty wild. It's challenging. Uh, Simultaneously, by the way, Disney is trying to figure out, as many companies are, what's going on with sports gambling. And I don't know how many of you read. There's a four-part series. Part one was on the front page of the Sunday newspaper. Part two, the New York Times. Part two was on the the Monday edition of the newspaper. A four-part expose that the New York Times is doing into sports gambling. Now, I know a little bit about sports gambling. Not only do I love to gamble on sports, give picks, I've been doing it for a decade, 15 years, whatever the heck it is. Uh, As long as basically I've been a media figure, I've been giving out regular gambling picks um, every week, especially on college football, but also on the NFL. And so uh, the New York Times is diving into uh, this story. I believe 31 different states now allow you to gamble on sports. And I was in, some of you may remember this, I was actually at the Supreme Court when they had the hearing, I believe it was in 2018, over whether or not sports gambling was going to be legal, the New Jersey lawsuit, uh, because remember, it was actually Democrats uh, that stopped sports gambling in conjunction with Republicans from passing because they had a PASPA, a law that disallowed sports gambling anywhere but uh, but basically Las Vegas, the state of Nevada, And so there was a big lawsuit, uh, and it went all the way to the Supreme Court. New Jersey sued, and New Jersey won. And since then, 31 different states. And I was there watching that argument. I've been in favor of states individually, under federalism, being able to make decisions about whether or not sports gambling is legal in their market. And so we've obviously had relationships with a lot of different sports gambling companies at OutKick, Uh, Fox. I was on a sports gambling show for four years daily, as many of you know, Uh, Lock It In, which turned into Fox Bet Live. Uh, So look, I've talked and been a big part of the sports gambling community for a long time. So the New York Times basically has decided that sports gambling is unacceptable. That's the uh, underlying story of uh, of this four-part special, this expose that they're doing. But they didn't even mention that The Athletic, which has lost hundreds of millions of dollars, which The New York Times wildly overpaid for, has its own sports gambling deal, and that the company was trying to sell itself to sports gambling companies when The New York Times ended up buying it. So The New York Times does this huge expose on sports gambling. They're attacking all different parts of the industry, And they barely mention for like two sentences in the middle of probably 15,000 word piece before all is said and done, they barely even bother to mention that the athletic owes much of its revenue to sports gambling and that the New York Times itself is making millions and millions of dollars off of the same thing that they're putting on the front page of the newspaper and saying it's unacceptable. Why didn't the New York Times write about The Athletic and the fact that sports gambling was one of the reasons why they bought The Athletic and that The Athletic has been aggressively trying to sell itself to sports gambling companies, either to buy them outright or to get millions of dollars to help to cover up all of the hemorrhaging losses that they have. Look, you can have whatever position you want to have, but not covering your own company while you point out at everybody else and say that they are awful uh, in the sports gambling industry, is, I think, unacceptable. And the New York Times should have to do a multi-thousand-word piece analyzing the athletic, sports gambling, the hundreds of millions of dollars that it's losing, and actually cover itself and hold the company to the same standard that they're trying to hold the rest of the country to. Look, my position's pretty straightforward on virtually every issue, Right. If you want to gamble on sports, go do it. I am for adults being able to make decisions for adults, right? Uh, Sports gambling, alcohol, uh, whatever you want to do, as long as it's not harming someone else and there are consenting adults involved, I think we should have the freedom to be able to do it. That's my position in general. It's crazy to me that the New York Times is attacking other groups for doing exactly what they are doing. The hypocrisy is crazy. They should have to cover that aggressively. All right. I will be back tomorrow. Uh, I will be here on Wednesday. uh, And then I am headed uh, Thanksgiving. I hope all of you have fantastic Thanksgivings. I'm thankful for all of you. I hope you have phenomenal times with your families. Uh, I will be here on uh, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then I will have Thanksgiving. And then I'm headed up uh, to uh, Columbus, Ohio, for the Michigan-Ohio State game uh, to close out the college football regular season with the crew at Big Noon. I appreciate all of you. DBAP unless you need to SBAP. I am Clay Travis. This has been OutKick, the show.